0: Welcome to the Bill Kelly podcast. It's Friday. Guest host, Greg Brady here. So it's official students in Southern Ontario, not going back to in-person learning until January 25th. So at least two more weeks. I got a tip for you. It's going to be more than two weeks. Are plans in place for a safe school reopening when that time comes? We're going to talk about that with a few different guests. Also, why does a group of medical and business professionals think a new approach to combating COVID-19 is needed? We'll talk to the co-founder of the Canadian Shield, a document that lays out what we need to do, what we've done so far, and what we're not necessarily doing. Robert Greenhill joins us with those details. And former Deputy Education Minister Dr. Charles Pascal joins me to continue that conversation. On our schools. It's all coming up on the Bill Kelly podcast. Today on the Bill Kelly show on 900 CHML. Yesterday. And we'll hear this today from the education minister, Stephen Lecce. And let me reiterate again. Schools were a win. A win in the fall. There were a lot of dire predictions. There was a lot of doom and gloom. Schools should have been one of the last things we considered closing. I'm well aware of that. I absolutely agree with that principle. But things have changed. In his video, he put out a one-minute video yesterday and said, over the holidays, we saw a 117% spike in kids getting COVID. Well, as Ryan Imgren, biostatistician to the stars, pointed out, that spike was between December 13th and December 20th. Where were kids? School. In the last week, they closed down the Windsor-Essex board a week and a half before every other school board was closed, because their test positivity rates were uh, were out the door in double digits. And there were certainly areas in the GTA, there were areas in Hamilton that we looked and said, I don't know, are we going to make it till the end of December? And Dr. Williams said this yesterday, it was a win to get there. But no, kids did not, did not acquire COVID uh, in their basements or in their bedrooms or tobogganing or going out for a skate or building a snow fort. Where do you think they were going for the 17 days? You think kids had their own New Year's Eve party that we're not aware of? What are they, Tom Cruise and risky business? Did we all travel out of town? Okay. Did did, did Joel become a pimp on the weekend and we just didn't notice it? No. Our kids basically followed our rules and our guidelines. And most of us, the vast majority, did everything we were supposed to do. So, again, can we be clear here? Where's the value? Where was the value in the fall when you're going to win the game in bragging that you can't get COVID in schools and telling people that the virus cannot penetrate an elementary school where there's 20 or 30 kids in poorly ventilated rooms for 30 plus hours a week and they eat a meal there every day? Every, how many indoor meals have you eaten with anybody else except your family? Uh, honestly, since September, how many? I bet you can count it on one hand at the most. Well, our kids eat 20 a day. And you're telling me that there's no possibility of COVID transmitting through schools. And I don't know the percentage, but I've seen enough and read enough and done enough prep and done enough research to know infection will happen there. Why? Because it can. So if it can, it will. That's the damn virus. So, Playing this fantasy land that schools are safe. It's the safest place you could be. No, it ain't. Home is right now. Home is for all of us right now. And why would elementary schools with 20 or 30 kids for those 30 hours a week with masks off to eat? Why would they be safer than high school kids who don't eat at school, who stay in the same 15 person cohort? Again, applause. Like thats You can hear me clap. That's not even a golf clap for the education minister and the premier. I think they kept our kids as safe as possible in high school, and they neglected to do that with elementary school. Look, we got to get community transmission under control to open schools safely. And I've heard all the arguments, okay? But you are moving the goalposts on a frequent basis if you're still trying to argue about schools. You are. Community transmission's got to get under control. Our numbers today, when they come, are going to be over 4,000 cases. Oh, but there's a data delay and a numbers dump. Yeah, they didn't want to tell you how many cases there were yesterday when they announced that schools were closed. Like, you can read this like a book at this particular point in time. Okay, you can. So this is where we're at. And I don't think we had a choice. And if you're a teacher heading into a school, you want to be home right now. I'm sorry. Ideally, schools are open. Nobody wants any of this right now. But I want to bring on our next guest. Uh, she wrote a letter to the Region Appeal of Medical Officer of Health, Doctor. Lawrence Slow, because of these numbers, um, that was you know pretty adamant uh, that we shouldn't be going back to in-person school on Monday. Gail Banister Clark is the president of the Peel Elementary Teachers Local ETFO Executive Member. Gail, thanks very much for making the time uh, for me. It's Greg Brady. I appreciate you coming on today.
1: Thanks, Greg, for having me.
0: One hundred percent. Yeah, what are what are you hearing now from your members, from your teachers? Nobody loves this. It ain't ideal. Teaching online is difficult. Learning online is difficult. But I'm sorry, there there has to be a sense of relief uh, that elementary school teachers aren't headed back into crowded classrooms, poorly ventilated classrooms next week.
1: Absolutely. You know, 60 um, percent of our members are online. Uh, but forty uh, percent of them are in in the schools and although it was a hard transition to to go online for the one week uh, they're very relieved uh, that uh, that we're continuing to be online for the next two weeks because the numbers are just sky high
0: so when when the education minister lays that out there and we'll hear from him top of the hour on this station lays that out there that Well, you know, (laughs) schools, it it just went so perfectly. I would say it went well. I do think it was important uh, to go back. And and I treasure, I'm thankful for the four months that we did get in elementary school and in Mm -hmm. secondary school, Um, but- That's that just isn't possible uh, that all of a sudden kids went home and mostly bunkered into their houses. And all of a sudden there's this massive 20 percent positivity rate across the province for 12 and 13 year olds. So it's not possible, not mathematically feasible that that wasn't happening prior to December 20th. It's not.
1: No, absolutely. We saw the numbers increasing uh, in our schools Um, and, you know, we we don't get uh, the data. Uh, delivered to us correctly. Once uh, a case uh, has been closed, um, those numbers are removed from the system. So, you know, the public isn't seeing when they look at the board sites, they're not seeing uh, an accurate uh, count of how many cases w- we have. And we saw the cases just going up and up and up Uh, In December, it was obvious that uh, people were contacting the virus in schools. Uh, In the 14 days that we were in school in December, we had um, uh, closures. And um, overall in the fall, we had 15 closures, but half of those happened during those 14 days.
0: Did you have teachers in your, uh, in your union, Gail, that um, got COVID and, you know, missed a significant period of time beyond the isolating that couldn't come back and finish, uh, say, the first semester? Did you have, have those numbers?
1: I don't have, I don't have that data. You know, I do have information of, of um, members contacting the virus, uh, contracting it, and also, um, you know, spreading it in, in their homes uh we know that um some members uh have re- returned uh but i don't have exact data about you know how long uh they've been off with with the virus i uh, i do also want to say that we presently have members who are teaching this week who are in schools mm-hmm. uh and that's a concern and um the public seems unaware of of that uh, the Minister of Education allowed an accommodation for uh, parents who have uh, students with special needs, high needs. And, um, so, you know, parents have, have said our children can't do the remote learning and are in schools right now. And many of those uh, children can't wear masks. So they are in our schools yeah. about three to, to five and, um, And we're concerned about that. We're concerned about those children getting the virus as well as our education workers.
0: Um, The 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 pivot now that takes place from in person uh, to online learning again, every teacher was, you know, bracing for this potentially over the Christmas holidays. But at the same time, uh, it's 17 days where I I don't think I need to tell you teachers needed to unplug and reenergize and uh, and and absolutely, you know, take stock of their own mental and emotional status. My goodness, we've all had to do that at various points these last 10 months. How how prepared are they? for what, what now takes place uh, and, and continues to take place, obviously, after a first week of online learning going into next week?
1: Not very prepared. Uh, you know, we don't have online resources. Uh, we didn't get uh, training uh, that the, you know, Minister of Education says that, that we received. And, um, you know, teachers are basically uh, trying to put together a, a, an online program uh, from a face-to-face program. And it's very challenging challenging for for students as well who you know need that face to face contact and that one to one support um, but it's it's extremely uh, challenging and our our education workers also have their own children at home with them right now yeah. right so you know they're working while they're trying to supervise their kids who are also online it's it's very challenging situation and i think it's it's just unrealistic for us to expect uh, for this to continue um, we have moved an education program that's face-to-face to online learning, and we haven't made any sort of changes to the expectations. Teachers are teaching actually more subjects uh, because um, we, we have just one teacher teaching all of the subjects uh, to the students online, and um, they're doing it in a shorter uh, time. We are expecting children to be online for 225 minutes i don 't even think that that's healthy uh, you know for no. them um, prior to online learning, we talked about screen time and and you know lessening screen time for kids and, and get them outside and, and those sorts of things but but so now we we're in a situation where we have an education minister who hasn't uh, met with you know experts in the field and and had some really good conversations to develop a program that's manageable for these emergency situations that's what we 're in right now we're in a case of emergency and we're acting like we're not in a pandemic and we just want business to continue as usual but it, but it certainly can't and i'm hopeful that over these two weeks uh with the school closures that um, the minister of education will actually uh you know take a look at this situation yeah. and really think about what is best for our students and the best for our workers and re-examine uh this entire plan
0: Gail Banister Clark, our guest, president of the Peel Elementary Teachers Local. Um, when you wrote the letter to Doctor Lowe, um, what were some of the emotions you were uh, having uh, transfer through you in terms of uh, in, in terms of just wanting to get uh, you know a clear and concise message out uh, to represent your teachers?
1: Oh, a little bit of of desperation, really. <laughs> you know, I just really yeah. felt. Uh, I, I was just scared for for our members, you know I mean, daily they were contacting me, saying that that they were afraid of, of going back into unsafe working environment. Uh, they were afraid, you know for even their families, right? Because they come home and they, and they bring this, possibly transmit it to um, elderly parents uh, and their own children. And I, I just wasn't hearing anything from uh, the Minister of Education. That, uh, that he was thinking of that, that he was concerned about that. And I just really wanted Dr. Lowe to be looking at this from a science standpoint, from a medical standpoint, you know, and not thinking about economics. I, I know that this is very challenging for, for all parents, you know, to, uh, some who don't have a paid leave, you know, you're not working right now. It's also challenging if you are working from home and you now have to supervise, you know, your child. It's, it's all very challenging challenging for everyone. And I really needed Dr. Lowe, though, to, to focus on, on the future. You know, it's a short time uh, challenge that we're dealing with for long time gains. And we really just need everyone to be able to come out of this alive and healthy
0: so well said i can't uh i can't thank you enough for the time uh i hope uh i hope again uh that the teachers are emboldened i hope they have parents support um and and i know you know i i know you've got the kids back uh and we all want to we all want a return to normalcy asap uh, i thank you for your time mm-hmm. today i appreciate it
1: thank you so much
0: you got it gail bannister clark's president of the peel elementary teachers uh local look again the amount of people that wanted this are are no one. And I'll be really interested to hear the education minister at the top of the hour. There's been a lot of doubling down and tripling down and quadrupling down on the idea that, you know, there's this uh, this is the so-called Iron Ring. Remember, an Iron Ring, there's only been used in two expressions. One, it's around our LTCs Two, it's around our schools. So, look, there's a lot invested for the education minister. There's a lot invested in the education minister. And again, I think he won during the fall. Okay, we need we did not know when we closed down in March. We didn't know how sick kids would get. And again, there is zero evidence to suggest that kids wouldn't transmit the virus. In fact, there is growing evidence to suggest that they do. They don't fall ill to it, but they are asymptomatic. And this was so workable. To have testing. I mentioned it yesterday. We border New York State. New York State opened schools in September, October, and they said, you know what? We got to keep a, ha- a handle on this virus, an eye on this virus. We're going to test 25% of uh, a number of schools in New York State, just so we know, just so we know where things are at. 25%. And then we'll take a different 25% two weeks after that because there's an incubation period for this virus. <laughs> Again, I'll I'll lay it out there. The spike that Stephen Lecce mentioned yesterday did not happen over the holidays. The math doesn't work. The spike was December 13th through December 20th. That's what all documented numbers show. And you would have had transmission events the week before that. There's transmission, there's incubation, then there's transmission. And all our kids were still in school then. You're listening to the Bill Kelly show podcast on 900 CHML. We talked with Dr. David Fisman, Uh, one of my favorites about the Canadian shield earlier in the week, and we laid out some of the principles of it. Um, it's, uh, you know, I don't want to describe it as a last resort, but it's an important uh, document to consider. Professor of practice at McGill University, the executive chair of Global Canada, and the co-founder of the Canadian Shields. Kind enough to join us now on 900CHML. He is Robert Greenhill. Uh, thank you very much for joining me. I appreciate you making the time. I, I know we're dealing with live news conference, but uh, thanks for being patient with us. That's a real pleasure. Your observation of, uh, of, of I guess, where we're at. And, and, I, and I'm going to ask, the Canadian Shields obviously something that's being brought at more of a national perspective, we're obviously very Ontario focused here, uh, and and you know we should be. But at the same time, this is something in in your document and the consultations you've had uh, is something that that goes coast to coast, is it not?
2: Yeah, absolutely. But actually, the, the, the key focal point is the province. Um, you know, eventually we'd like it to be national, but Atlantic Canadian provinces have shown that you can do the right thing at the provincial level, um, and then as others you know, come along, you can sort of link it up more nationally. So there's an opportunity right now for Ontario over the next few weeks to get it right.
0: What are the things that you think we've got right uh, in the last five, six weeks? There's a lot of skepticism about... You know, small businesses and whatnot. There's a lot of of people that that are obviously losing patience, and, and we're all frustrated and fatigued. But saying, well, this is right, but I'm not sure about this, and and some false equivalencies factor in there. What what has the province gotten right that they've done in the last five or six weeks? Uh,
2: I, I think they did make a number of tough decisions before Christmas, a number of which were extended this week. I think your point was really uh, correct that you know, why do at the last minute things that we knew a few days or even a few weeks ago we were going to have to do? Um, And, you know, one of the things we call for in the Canadian Shield is let's provide strategic clarity and let's make some of those tough calls early and consistently. The good news in all this is is we actually do know what works. We know what's worked in Canada, in Ontario in in the spring and summer, but also in places like Atlantic and northern Canada throughout the year. And we know what works internationally. Um, So... You know, we're in a strange place where we really have two strategies in Canada. You know, half of them are doing this sort of trying to manage and mitigate our way through, hoping we can sort of muddle through till we get through mass vaccination. And the other half in Atlantic and northern Canada have adopted the strategy of getting cases down, keeping them down, never letting COVID get a, a foothold again. And that's worked. And, you know, at the end of the day, the view of the Canadian Shield is, We see a strategy that was working. We see one that's failing. Why don't we shift to the one that's working?
0: Robert Greenhill is our guest executive chair at Global Canada Initiative. We're talking about the Canadian Shield um and I'll uh, lay out for folks where they can find a lot of the details of it uh, online. When we talk about uh where we were in the spring there's references obviously in the news conference today um that I was mentioning that we carried live to doing things more like we were in March and April um even though we were learning more about the virus and we were you know wearing gloves everywhere and we were a lot, very worried about surface contact and pumping gas and opening our mail those fears um you know have have sort of you know been superseded by the reality of the virus and the medicine and the science behind mm-hmm. the virus but w- what are things we would get back to potentially doing in the spring that were successful to allow us a- to at least enjoy some more freedoms in the summer everywhere
2: well there's really three things we can do i mean the first is there are going to have to be measures by government uh, and there's going to have to be a renewed sort of engagement by individuals to do the things we all know we need to be doing. But frankly, we've gotten tired of doing it over the last few months. And I think we can do it with a sense that if, if we do observe these social restrictions and other elements, you know, there is a light at the end of the tunnel, but this isn't doing this for another year, but it is really being strict over the next few weeks. And that's the first thing. We have to get cases down from thousands of day to hundreds a day. So testing and tracing and isolation and support systems can work. But then the second thing, which we we didn't get right this this summer, because the best expert evidence at the time was it wasn't necessary, was to never let cases go up again. You know, this summer there was this theory that, you know, getting to near zero wasn't possible, but you could kind of manage your way through this. There was this sort of equilibrium that we could keep, you know, COVID cases at 100 or 200 cases a day in Ontario. Well, it's turned out there's no such thing. You know, you're, you're either going up or going down. You're either winning or you're losing. And so what will be very important in a few weeks when we come out of this sort of lockdown situation will be to ensure that we only relax to the extent that we can ensure that cases are continuing to come down. And we recommend around 20% a week. You know, reproductive rate around 0.85 to 0.9. Because by doing that, by week on week continuing to have cave COVID cases go down, people can get control over their lives Communities can get, you know, control of our collective destiny. Um, and so that's the simple but fundamental second part of the, the covid sh- uh, the Canadian shield. You know, don't ever let cases go up again so we avoid a third wave. And then the, the third part that's really important is we do need to reach out and support those individuals and businesses and communities that are going to be really hurt by this, this uh, action over the next few mm-hmm. weeks. And who, you know, after nine months, in some cases, are really hanging on by their nails in terms of their businesses not going under. So it's going to, re, you know, re- require governments to be thoughtful and focused and fast in terms of providing that kind of support.
0: Really well said, Robert Greenhill, co-founder of the Canadian Shield, professor of practice, McGill University, executive chair of Global Canada. Was there any other call to make regarding schools? And when I describe it as a win for the most part in the fall, some of that was we had warmer weather than uh, teachers moved, you know, moved their kids outside. I mentioned high school. I think there was a lot of confidence among high school parents because there's no recess, there's no gym class unless they're registered for gym. There's no eating together for five days a week. I think we had a lot of confidence. Should we have done anything differently with education in Ontario in the fall?
2: Well, I think there's opportunities to continue to learn and apply, you know, emerging best practices. So certainly anything we can do to improve ventilations and improve air filtration, it's good for our kids anyhow, so why don't we accelerate doing that now? A second thing is the application of quick tests. So, you know, as high school students come back uh, from from break, you know, actually having quick testing available to them, um, even if it's not 100% accurate, if you uh, uncover the 60 or 70% of uh, asymptomatic carriers in high school, you can really help uh, forestall a, a, an outbreak. You know, there have been some experiments with that in Ontario. There's been some great work done in Nova Scotia on this. You know, and there's millions of quick tests uh, kind of sitting, waiting to be used in Ontario. Why don't we apply those as an extra tool in our toolkit to help ensure that when students do come back, they come back into a context that's as safe and therefore as stable as possible. You know, so there's some positive things we can be doing, um, but they require real action right now.
0: What does the Canadian Shield say about a curfew? That gets debated an awful lot. There's an upcoming nightly curfew in Quebec. Uh, We've barely been able to talk about it here because it's been a crazy news week and we're trying to keep our heads on straight. But Premier Legault's plan there, um, is that something Ontario should pay attention to and consider?
2: Well, we, we actually don't have a specific view on curfew. Uh, you know, because actually this constraints that are necessary, you know, vary so much, not just by province by province, but by community or, or situation within each province, right? Um, so, you know, that's that's one possible approach. Certainly elements that constrain non-essential interaction for the new f- next few weeks will be important. You know, other jurisdictions, if you stay-at-home orders, um, you know, there, there's a variety of different instruments. Whether a curfew is, is, you know, is the right way or the best way, um, uh, I'll I'll leave that to the people who have more specific understanding. I mean, one thing is worth noting is we achieved great success without curfew this spring. So one would need to understand why this was a more appropriate instrument now. But certainly actions need to be taken, um, you know, nationally and also internationally in terms of international travel and other elements. And and at this point, it really is an all-hands-on deck because, as the premier said, the situation is very difficult. And if these new mutations from the U.K. and South Africa are as infectious as they seem to be, things could get a lot worse if we don't make sure we get them a lot better over the next few weeks. So we're really at a pivotal point.
0: Yeah, we really are. Uh, I can't thank you enough for coming on today. Um, it's obviously some something uh, that I think folks should look at, consider, and, and maybe even if we, if we don't have a collective, um, you know, enforcement, uh, and and some of these things don't get, not everything gets realized. I think even for individual households, um, as I said, may <laughs> have somebody in every household be the chief medical officer of health for the household, um, and you'll you'll be in a better place than otherwise. I can't thank you enough for the time. It's my pleasure. Robert Greenhill is the co-founder of the Canadian Shield, professor of practice at McGill University, executive chair of Global Canada. Best best way to find it, Google his name, Greenhill, same as you, you, uh, uh, you know, uh, a normal human being would spell it and uh, type in Canadian Shield right behind it and you'll find exactly uh, what's getting discussed. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. It's not funny anymore. Watching, uh, honestly, watching the chief coroner of the province and Dr. David Williams... I I tried, I used to try to find the humor in it, and now I just bawl tears. Like three boxes of Kleenex are beside me. I oh, can't believe these numbers. It's very, very alarming. You're not you're paid not to be alarmed by these numbers. What are we doing? I honest and honestly, let me say this also. Like you don't know, you, you know you, some of you listening know me and you've listened to me for a long time. Some of you are kind of new to my uh uh style and my. Um, you know, commitment to to prepping a well-researched show, and as well my eccentricities. I used to be a really fun person. I swear, I swear, I used to be really engaging and interesting and humorous. And I, like I can't even, I can't even tell you where I'm at right now. Do we need to pay MPPs like five hundred thousand dollars a year? How can we find smarter people, honestly, than the people I just watched talk to you? How is this possible? How can we get the best of the best, the cream of the crop? How can we get those people to want to run for public office? And when they run, why can't the smarter people get elected? Honestly, I don't even know what to tell you for what I I just witnessed. What was that? Well, here's the here's the very end quote from the premier of the province, who, again, I will credit for tone, for movement through the stages, for relatability. He has a relatability that the prime minister of this country just can't transfer to the 36 million Canadians. It's true. You know it and I know it. You might have voted for him once, maybe twice. You may never have voted for him. You know, that's true. Here's the here's the quote from the end of this news conference today. We just need to hang in there until April, May, June. Those are the months that we can really do mass vaccination. Like they the first three questions were about long-term care. We we, we could have paid people to leave their families, okay? Why do you travel for work because it's economically feasible. Maybe you want to get away from your family too. so there's that benefit. Maybe you're George Clooney in that movie The air up there and, that, and you just want you know frequent flyer miles. We could have paid people to live at long-term care centers. so there's no back and forth. You ever traveled for work? I have. it sucks. I didn't see my uh, I, I remember one stretch. I didn't see my one and a half year old for 22 days. that 22 days. I was working up here in Toronto for chorus. I'd left my job in Detroit. We were still living in Michigan. My wife's five months pregnant. My son's a year and a half old. I had a lot of NFL stuff to do on the weekends. I was the Windsor Spitfires play-by-play guy. I had other UK responsibilities, and I had a five-day-a-week job at Global News Radio, 640 Toronto, which wasn't Global News Radio then, but you get my point. And it sucked. But why did I do it? Career advancement and money. I, I, honestly. And can we finally—I know everyone's—you know, there's some easy targets out there. The premier is. The education minister is. Can we get a health minister next time around? As lovely a human being as Christine Elliott may or may not be, you have to have a health minister that's been a doctor. You have to. You must make this mandatory. Either the Attorney General of the United States is an appointed position, and it should be. We shouldn't elect an Attorney General. Okay, like we elect a. We either have to do it one way or the other. We have to make the health minister someone that runs in essence as a de facto vice president. Like there's a ticket. The Ford Elliott ticket. Are you voting for that? If Andrea Horvath is running, tell me who your health minister is. And I'm sorry, you can't change in midstream. Let us know who's who's our who's handling everything. Cause when I put doctors on the radio and when you listen to doctors on the radio and you realize, gosh darn it, why aren't they why aren't they our politicians? Because we don't incentivize it for them. Honestly. Honestly. And I'm not telling you that Andrea Horvath or Stephen Del Duca would be rocking the heck out of this pandemic and would be kicking butt and taking names, and the virus would go, oh, my God, please, Premier Horvath, please, Premier Del Duca, you're crushing me here. You're flattening the curve. I can't transmit anymore, asymptomatically or otherwise. But honestly, is it asking too much for this government? Tell me besides the vaccines what your plan is. I don't know. I don't know. Again, I used to be a lot of fun to hang out with. You'd want to watch that Bill's Colts game with me tomorrow. Our next guest would want to watch the World Series with me. Not anymore. Dr. Charles Pascal is the former Deputy Education Minister, current Professor of Applied Psychology and Human Development at the University of Toronto. This is my last show, Dr. Pascal. I'm just going to sign up for your course. Um, I want to get mentored. I want to learn. Uh, I also need a straight jacket. How are you doing?
3: <laughs> well, in the vernacular of the uh, last um, 48 hours in the United States Senate, I would like to yield my time uh, back to the Honorable Member of Global News Radio, Mr. Brady. uh, (laughs) I want you to just continue. I don't know. I just want to give you a big big virtual hug. Everything you've said, uh, I underscore. Uh, We've got a situation where in Ontario, uh, where the Medical Officer of Health uh, seems to uh, have... uh, basically channeled his inner mr magoo uh we have a, uh, a health minister who as you have described is a genuinely nice person uh, and she's uh, she's very smart and i'm just reminded on a daily basis uh that her former job uh before she uh went back uh, uh into the fray was the ontario patient ombud. On she was there to protect the patients uh of ontario uh where where has uh, the skill and commitment to her former job where it is on display right now uh, so yeah i you know everything you've said I totally underscore uh you you've tabled some very interesting ideas about about knowing in a more transparent way uh who's gonna be doing what uh, we have uh, uh you know we, we, we know who the sickest uh, narcissist on earth is. Uh, and I, when I use the word uh, narcissist as a, as a psychologist, I'm referring to the disorder uh, that people can go look on uh, the Mayo Clinic website, and you'll see eight characteristics. So we know who that sick individual is and how he has uh, been destroying the world. Uh, but we have in the Ontario cabinet uh, somebody who, from a clinical perspective, I perceive uh, to be uh, almost a pure narcissist. I'll let your listeners guess who that might be. A hint <laughs> it's not the premier, so it's not the premier thank you for that. Where, uh we simply don't have the right kind of planning uh strategic understanding, toughness, consistency, all based on evidence. We haven't had that in Ontario uh in the last nine months. It's in full uh, sight and it's uh it's killing people and uh so i'm 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 quite frustrated as a boy board in uh, in a small town south of Dryden, Ontario, Chicago, uh, I, I grieve, uh, for, uh, uh, for the, uh, the homeland of my birth, uh, and what it's uh, been going through, uh, and, uh, the yeah. lack of, of, uh, moral leadership, moral purpose leadership. Uh, and I'm, I'm very upset. You know, I, you know, I, I'd love to, I'd actually love to watch, uh, any sporting game with you and, and here you call the play-by-play. <laughs> if it's baseball, I'm going to have to, you know, interrupt from time to time to be your color guy.
0: That's not my – f- nah, baseball, I've done football, hockey, uh, soccer. Yeah, well, baseball is not – you got – you, you I, know. I'm,
3: this is a tough time for me personally. You know, you're, you're – um, look, in the final analysis, and this is in my – here's a shameless uh, uh, plug in my recently released book, uh, uh, you know, Leading from the Inside Out, hard earned Lessons from Education, Government, and Baseball. Uh, I, I, I talk about the fact that, uh, you know, anger, you can't be angry and smart at the same time. Uh, Bismarck said many, many years ago before I was even born uh, that anger is not a good advisor. So, uh, you know, I'm trying to get over my anger uh, so that I can figure out what can I do as an individual uh, that's smart uh, in one small way or another.
0: Let me ask you about schools. Um You know, uh, again, you and I won't agree potentially on on the fall. Uh, I, I think I think it was the right thing to send the kids back. I now now you may say that also, but I think they had a very proper plan for high schools. I'm well aware of inequalities in the system, and and even when kids go home at night under normal circumstances, some kids are going to be able to study easier than others, have internet access easier than others, re- rely on resourceful people, have smart parents, and some don't. I mean, all these things factor in. We just shun away DNA and what we get from our parents and what we try and transfer to our own kids, but but we shouldn't because all these things factor in. But there's just no other way to go right now. I'm I'm seeing I'm getting these emails. I'm seeing all these. Um, you know, clinical psychologists and child psychologists, um, you know, kids don't drive the pandemic. Open schools don't drive community spread. Keeping them closed is child abuse. We have to choose kids over the elderly. I I just can't go there. I cannot do this. I can't argue with these people. Um, What do you say about about closing schools where we're at right now?
3: Well, we we have no choice. And, you know, you and I have had discussions about opening schools. Uh, Look, the objective of the social uh, and emotional and, and achievement and cognitive benefits of a face to face, you know, we all have that as the objective. And, uh, you know, I don't, uh, I, I don't disagree with that, but from uh, last uh, April uh, and may uh, many of us have been really clear about the evidence uh, that needs to inform how we open schools. And I'm personally very grateful to, Hear stories from you about your 15 year old uh, son in high school, uh, about uh, where people have had decent experiences. Uh, uh, they've lucked out regarding uh, what's going on at home and, and what's available in terms of, of uh, teachers and things like that. But generally, um, uh, all of the things that were required for health and safety uh, and the mental health and well safety, not just of, of students and parents trying to figure this out, but the mental health. Uh, and well-being of of teachers and those who lead teachers has been disregarded. This is uh, this is a minister uh, who uh, chats himself up, who as recently as two days ago admitted yet another fabrication, noting that high school teachers uh, were given mandatory training about how to deal with remote learning. That is an out and outright fabrication. It did not happen. Uh, my son-in-law is a high school teacher, dedicated, works with. Uh, uh, very uh, uh, challenged kids regarding issues of of poverty, part of the have-not, mm-hmm. part of our uh, inequitable uh, society. Um, absolutely not. Who 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 uh, told you, Charles, uh, that there was mandatory training for high school teachers regarding remote learning? It's not true. He said, and of course you've seen online. Uh, I've not seen one uh, one high school teacher. Said it. So this is a No, I've heard so, I've to, heard from who,
0: so many te- so many uh, teachers message me uh, Dr. Pascal and said it's not it's not that's not an accurate thing. true. So
3: this is this is a proxy for his uh, the you know the guy is a dean of disinformation. He is uh, I have been uh, following and sometimes supporting uh, ministers of education since Mr. Davis uh, was, and he's my favorite of all time since he was minister of education in the mid 60s. Uh, this is by far and away the worst minister of Education Ontario has ever had we've had we've had those who are uh, not up to the job who come and gone and been replaced but we've never had somebody who so consistently denigrated the uh, the important value of publicly funded education than this guy and this started uh, over a year this is a year and a half ago
0: this is before the pandemic. here's what here's what i'd say here's here's what i'd say and and tell me if i'm if i'm wrong about this um if if the talking points were simply this if there was a leveling of of you know tr- if there was an accountability towards the public and parents and teachers and students listen and, I, and look he's going to play hardball with the unions the un- unions as you know have always played hardball back it's not an easy portfolio you you're, you're going to have to be hard as nails sometimes but but when it comes to the pandemic, Dr. Pascal, if Leche had just said, listen, we know that everything's a risk. Are you kidding? It's 2020. We're in a pandemic. Everything's a risk. We're going to do everything we can to keep your kids safe. We're confident we've got a plan that should work. Teachers, students, admins, support staff, let's work together. Let's have each other's back. There's going to be some cases, but we can keep it to the absolute minimum. I can't tell you the level of respect I would have yes, that I do the, not because those but statements but have not been made.
3: The, you're not you're not wrong except uh, except you've missed uh, one key ingredient regarding uh, the part about here's a plan uh, that we will ensure uh, do everything possible uh, to keep the da da da. He says that every other twenty seconds. The problem is how was that plan developed? Based on what evidence? based on uh, uh, the people that he's talking to, uh, many of us have been calling on. Uh, uh the premier and his minister for about 8 months to have a genuine uh round table task force of the leading experts regarding epidemiolo- ep- epidemiology education experts people from the grassroots uh teachers those who lead teachers uh business uh and unions and by the way because uh, this is a government that loves to to figure out you know who they can blame next whether it's the auditor general of ontario or somebody else that's going to be uh, blamed. Um, th- this is this is a this is a, a, a premier uh, and a minister uh, who simply chat themselves up. They do not talk uh, to uh, people uh, uh, in this kind of diverse way. And regarding the unions, which is the uh, the, the premier likes to use the phrase, and this is out of uh, uh, the playbook regarding you know anytime you can blame the unions, they use the phrase union bosses. So in this case, the unions from before the pandemic, regarding what this government did with reducing funding to education, uh, increasing class sizes, uh, playing all sorts of phony games. um, This is where the unions followed the evidence. They were supported uh, by people like me and others because they were saying the same thing about what to do with education. increasing the quality of education absolutely
0: absolutely but but here's a, this is an important question this is an important question let me ask you this if they said and this was what i would have advocated for take the two weeks after christmas this would be the first week dr pascal next week would be the second week there's no school there's no online learning you have a four-week break and we are lop looping the time you're going to teach and go to school the first two weeks of July. What do you think the unions, I know my parents both thought, I know what they would have said, not on my watch or not. Well, we're all making sacrifices here. They would have said no. And I, I wouldn't have appreciated that approach. Not, I wish I'm that had sure, been at yeah, least I'm on the sure, table.
3: I'm not sure that's. I'm not sure that to, uh, uh, you know, to develop a uh, scenario like that uh, and, uh, and speak on behalf of what they might've done. But look to the point you're raising, um, there were many of us, and this is all documented online uh, through memos. Yeah. and I can show you things that I've I've sent to uh, privately behind the uh, you know behind the backs of this premier and this minister uh, to members of that cabinet uh, with whom I do have a yeah. a, uh, a, a, a relationship. Uh, we we have been advocating right throughout. There's times where you have to take a pause and basically get your act together. Listen to the experts and a very diverse sense of tables of diversity of expertise and do the right thing. So the notion of pausing before September uh, and getting it right before you open, figuring out where you can open in Ontario right. and where you can't uh, working bottom up as well as top down uh, postponing uh, you know uh, you know, the Christmas thing and thinking about the makeup into the summer. I think it's unfair uh, to use uh, under those scenarios where we need to be creative and smart about, Making sure that we reinforce uh, the health and well-being of students, parents, and uh, and teachers. I think it's unfair to imagine, uh, you know, to use the unions as a hypothetical scapegoat. I just think it's unfair. I know.
0: I, okay. I, I I think I think there would have been some uh, consternation, and there would have been uh, some debate about it that I got to leave it there. I hate, I hate when our conversations get derailed. Uh, we're, you know, we're due for a beer sometime at the end of 2021. We'll record that conversation and play it on whatever show and whatever slot I'm in. Uh, and you're always welcome with me. I wish you luck. I'll get people, more people in on this book. I got to get it for my parents for their birthdays, February and March. I'm going to get them each a copy so they don't share. (laughs) Thanks Dr. Pascal. Dr. Charles Pascal, former Deputy Education Minister, currently at U of T. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. Hey, it's Craig Brady. Hope you enjoyed it. The Bill Kelly Show podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts from. Thank you again for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review. And I'll be back with another one tomorrow.